Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening, being here on another game week for LSU, coming off a 41-7 win over Vanderbilt on the road Saturday night uh, as LSU got back on the winning side of things in the SEC after their season opener against Mississippi State. But I'm Billy Umbody with me, Shay Dixon, now to kind of run down some of our final thoughts on the Vanderbilt game, but most importantly, it's been a fast start to the week as far as news with Ed Ogeron meeting with the media Monday. And even Tuesday morning as we're recording this podcast came out with some news at the left guard position. And I want to start there, Shay, because so much has been made of this offense, of course, in 2020. And a lot of it had to do with the offensive line replacing four or five starters. And now you saw it a little bit against Mississippi State where Dare Rosenthal went out and now Ed Ingram is out for this game. It appears with Charles Turner stepping in at left guard. Uh, what do you make of Charles Turner stepping in since, you know, Marlon Martinez got a little bit, bit of burn there against the Commodores? Yeah, um, interesting. But look, this is a guy in Charles Turner that people knocked when LSU signed him. I, we, I was a big fan. I know we liked him on the site. Uh, but he, what, left IMG? Wing, oh yeah, I think he played at IMG, correct? Yeah, played at IMG uh, and and uh, had transferred down there for the last two years, and he was about two hundred forty pounds when I saw yeah, him but yeah, center. Yeah, two thirty, two forty, but he was playing all over IMG's offensive line, and people down there said, "Look, don't worry about his weight. You can add weight when you get to college." And we've said it, and and it sort of will go in line here with why he's playing, and maybe some other guys aren't at offensive guard is. It's a lot easier for these kids to come in weighing 240 and put on a bunch of pounds than weighing 340, 350, 360 and trying to drop down. And he's now at 285, 287 is what Orgeron said. And and he talked about really liking him. Look, they put him at center and thought he did well there. Then they said he could play some backup tackle. Now it appears that they like him at the guard spot. Uh, if you don't have Ed Ingram, who's obviously one of your better players, you mentioned Martinez, uh, played a bit against the Commodores. But. A couple of weeks ago, O said, o said, look, Marlon Martinez looks really good. I just don't know if he's ready to, to go a full, um, you know, 12 rounds just yet. Uh, but that said, they seem to have that sort of faith right now uh, in what a guy like Charles can, Charles Turner can do. And, and he's becoming a bit of a swing man for him, maybe if he can play center. Um, we knew he could maybe back up tackle. Uh, and now they feel like he's good enough to go guard. Um, and if he looks good, this is a real kind of um, – feather in the cap, uh, if you will, um, for offensive line coach James Craig, because they took – and people knocked him whenever they took him and said, why are you taking guys like this? He'll never play. Well, look at this. Three – what, took a red shirt a year ago, three games into uh, his first season on the field, he's going to get a starting nod. Uh, I'm interested to see it because Ingram is certainly uh, one of their better blockers, and, and, boy, he had some highlights against the Commodores. Well, and the thing about it, too, and the discussion is raging on on the uh, – go 24-7 message board already with this news 
Uh, but you know, where's Cardell Thomas? Where the, where's Anthony Bradford? Bradford, they still have to kind of lose weight and trim down, and it goes kind of back to the whole. Well, offensive line development nowadays is so much more. Um, it's almost getting more reliable if you come in under you know about 285 pounds. It's kind of the sweet spot in terms of offensive linemen coming in under. You don't want the big, big, big guys as much anymore. You know, you can have Damian Lewis, but Damian Lewis was a junior college guy and, you know, two years older than, uh, you know, these high school players that are coming in. And uh, so, uh, look, Charles Turner has done a ton of work. I mean, when we when I talked with him at the national championship game, he was already, I think, at like 287 going into the spring. And so that's just you know, uh, shows how much work he had put in already to bulk up and to be ready for this. So, uh, you know, excited for Charles Turner. I mean, he was, again, when you look at the trends with offensive line development, uh, he's one of those guys that if he pans out, he'd be, you know, one that, you know, people can point to. And look at last week against Mississippi State. Cole Smith, the starting center, came in super undersized at LSU. I mean, he was getting manhandled when he was in fall camp. But he's now about 300 pounds, and he's starting at center for Mike Leach. So there, there's a lot of uh, there are a lot, there are ready-made guys who are you know five stars and first-round picks, uh, and they have the athleticism and they're kind of fully developed already. But there's also plenty of guys that nowadays are putting on the weight uh, and and developing into you know elite offensive linemen. And one of them uh, at least could trend that way is Cam Wire, who stepped in for Dare Rosenthal against Vanderbilt played very well I thought he looked great uh, but Ed Ogeron did say that Dare Rosenthal is expected to play against Missouri he was kind of a game time decision against the Commodores but just couldn't go and so Cam got the start and did a really good job you know made some mistakes uh, his first start of his career but uh, it does appear that Dare Rosenthal is also going to be back. Yeah, I mean they thought if they can have Charles Turner look as good in his first start as Cam Wire looked uh, a week ago, they'll be in good shape. Um, a lot of people said, "Hey, look, is Dare going to move right back into the starting lineup? Should they keep riding Cam Wire?" Uh, I get why they're going to put Dare back in there. They thought he was going to have a big year. This is a guy who potentially could multiple for multiple years could be your left tackle uh, if things work out that way. So they'll get him back out there, but. We knew from the onset, which when the first depth charts came out and, and Ortron sort of broke things down, he said, Cam Wire is our backup left tackle and he is our backup right tackle. So this ain't the last time we're going to see Cam Wire. We know that injuries happen. And even if poor play happens at some point, I don't think they'll be hesitant to pull the trigger and put Wire back out there. So good on him for a solid game. Even if he doesn't start, it ain't the last we're going to see of him this year. He'll probably play a lot of football for him. 100%. And another one who, who's starting to emerge is somebody who could end up playing a lot of uh, you know snaps for LSU and somebody we've been waiting on uh, since he got to campus. John Emery emerges with a great performance against Vanderbilt, uh, really showed just so many aspects of his game, which we loved as a five-star running back coming out of Destrehan. And I, I think even with Chris Curry available now for this game against Missouri, like Ed Ogeron said, I mean, if John Emery has another game like he did against Vanderbilt, I think he's got to be that hot hand that Ed Ogeron has said they're looking for, right? I mean, it has to be. And they're going to want to play all three of these guys. It's still early in the season. They're going to try to get Curry going, who's going to be back after uh, being injured. I mean, he dressed out and was going through warm-ups. So they thought they had him all the way up until the game against Vanderbilt. He doesn't play. And then all of a sudden, your rotation just shrinks, right, to Davis Price and to Emery. And Davis Price got the first – run and for series and then 
Emory got in the game. And, and as soon as Emory started to click, they started to ride him more and more. And I think that um, that's what they're going to do, right? And I've argued that I think TDP has a role. I think that Chris Curry can find a role uh, in this offense. But I think that Emory's role, at least right now, needs to be it doesn't need to be in every other series or every other other series, every third series. He's got to be involved. Even if he's not touching it, he needs to be getting into the game uh, nearly on every series if your play calls allow it. Because now the film's out there. When he gets onto the field, teams are going to have to account for him because he can catch the ball, he can run the ball, he can definitely get into open space, and that's when he's the most dangerous. And I thought it was pretty clear. Everyone always said, well, what's going on with Emory? He doesn't know the playbook. Is he immature? Is he all this? Is he this, that, and the other? I think it became pretty evident this week when Orgeron praised him for what how his game went and I think for I wrote it in the article twice but I think you mentioned it like four times total is I'm so proud of him for ball security that he didn't put the ball on the ground and that must be something that they have been seeing behind the scenes with Emory and we had heard whispers about it but ball security something that matters very much to Ed Orgeron and obviously to all college coaches but you're not going to get in the game if they think that you're going to uh, either not know where you're supposed to be or, or even worse put the ball on the ground he didn't do that. If he continues to to hold on to that rock and run like he's running, he's gonna he'll run away with the most touches uh, from the group of guys this year. At least if we're uh, basing it off of what we've seen through two weeks. Yeah, you can be explosive as all get out, but if you put the ball on the ground and and you're you know that's something that I mean, remember when Nick Brosette put it on the ground early in in, in his career? Uh, Ed Ogeron kind of like gave him the hook right away, and and and. Uh, I think that I remember that press conference where uh, it didn't really go well uh, with that Ogeron and Nick Rosette. Um, but anyway, uh, John Emery, I mean, yeah, if he has that consistency and it's not putting on the, the ball on the ground, I mean, that's the biggest thing on uh, LSU's side of things, it, it seems like. Um, another you know, player that really stepped up, I think Miles Brennan. I mean, I thought he threw the ball well. He, you know, is still getting there. But it was clear in, in the post-game press conference when Ed Ogeron was talking about what Miles Brennan worked on, he showed. He said he showed him a lot of clips of Drew Brees and saying, "Look, you know, this is how Drew Brees steps up in the pocket. You you don't have to escape all the time and and try to you know get outside of the pocket if you feel even an ounce of pressure." And uh, I think it showed, and it was a it was a focal point, and you can kind of tell that it was in the back of his mind in in terms of wanting to stick in there and stay in there. Um, now maybe it was that they were playing Vanderbilt. And and it's certainly not a you know Mississippi State type of defense, but you know it's still the SEC. And I just thought Miles looked a, a lot more poised uh, in this game for the most part. Uh, and it's something to build off of for him, you know, as as he goes uh, potentially goes to Missouri this weekend, but but could end up you know of course just playing uh, at home against Missouri. We'll talk about that, that later. But uh, Miles Brennan uh, finding John Trey Kirkland for his first career touchdowns. I mean, I thought. Just overall, I thought it was a much better performance. Oh, I mean, it was much better for so many different reasons, right? I mean, I thought that more so than anything, uh, in back-to-back games, like he's the first LSU quarterback in program history to go over 300 yards in his first two starts. And uh, look, they lost to Mississippi State, so who really cares what he threw for, right? And and then they beat Vanderbilt, and it's Vanderbilt. Well, in both games, and certainly had better, even better stats uh, in week two against Vanderbilt. But in game one, he just didn't look comfortable. He was happy feet. He was uh, a bit gun shy with it. Um, his throws didn't look like to have the pop that everyone says the Miles Brennan throws do. And then we saw it come around in week two against Vanderbilt. And 
as you said, Orgeron did everything from throwing Drew Brees video at him to Russ Callaway and Steve Insmere working with him on just staying in the pocket, step in there, work on delivering the throws. Don't run when you don't have to. And then he still made a couple of plays where he spun out of, he stepped into the pocket. And then when it broke down, he spun out of it and, and he made a quick read and got rid of it. And he just looked so much more comfortable. And I thought the play calling helped in a big way. And a week ago, week one, they don't run for more than 12 yards on a play. No running back goes over 40 yards, 50 yards. And the ground game was really something that was trying to be set up through the pass. And they didn't do that in week two. Insmere shifted it. He said, we're going to run to set up the pass. It made Brennan feel more comfortable. It allowed Emory to have a big breakout game. And once the offense got rolling, we saw they were, they were going flea flicker up 20-something points uh, deep in the game uh, for a touchdown to John Trey Kirkland. Um, so impressive showing. I like the offensive play calling. I like that Brennan looks settled in. I don't like that the receivers are looking about like 2018 where they're not helping them out very much if they're going to drop the ball every five passes or whatever it might be, especially when it's killing a drive on third down. So things to clean up, that's understood. It's going to happen. We're only in week two. It's been a weird offseason. It's going to look rusty, but figure out how to catch the football, sure. Now at least you don't, you're not overly worried about how the football is getting to the receivers. Miles Brennan looked good. He had a bounce back game and um, he should be going into this Missouri game with a bit of confidence knowing, okay, got that one under my belt. Let me get one more under my belt to feel good about things before I've got to go to Gainesville and, and obviously face the, the toughest defense yet. I think the amount of first down runs compared to the first down passes from the previous game against Mississippi State, I think it was just night and day. That was the biggest thing, I think, in, in setting them up, like you said, for, for success. Yeah, and, and this is a hat tip to Cody Worsham on this. I mean, you can go back and research this yourself. But uh, versus Mississippi State, 24 passes, 14 runs on first down, 63 to 37 split. Uh, in terms of percentage versus Vandy, a perfect 50-50, 18 pass, 18 run, uh, which I think is what you want to be. And Ed Ogeron always talks about being 50-50. And uh, I think in Miles Brennan's first year, especially as a starter, that's going to have to be the key. And I know they were behind a lot, you know, against Mississippi State. So that that's probably why the numbers were skewed a little bit more. Um, but overall, they have to continue to be that, I think, run on first down team because they have the talent at running back. To, to pick up good yardage and set them up with, you know, second and, and medium. And, and then, you know, uh, whether you pick up a first down or end up with a third and short after that, uh, that's, to, that's setting up Miles Brennan for success rather than pinning him back a little bit on, on those drives. And um, that'll be critical against Florida because uh, that game is obviously going to be a tough one looking ahead. And uh, the kickoff time for that was just announced on Monday, 2.30 PM central at the swamp on ESPN. So uh, not your typical 2.30 CBS game, but nothing really is typical uh, these days with, with college football. So 2.30 Central, uh, ESPN, LSU, Florida at the Swamp as LSU looks to try and make it a second straight win over the Gators. Shay, we're going to get to a lot more on this podcast on the other side of this break. We're going to touch on the defensive side of things, uh, some, some key players uh, returning and, and certainly some younger guys and newcomers continuing to emerge as a key contributors for the Tigers. We're going to cover that on the other side of this break from the Go 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. Quick reminder to leave us a rating, leave us a review, and subscribe to the Go 24-7 podcast wherever you listen to your podcast these days. And LSU... After a record-setting passing day by K.J. Costello and Mississippi State who turn around and lose to Arkansas, which I don't know if that makes it worse or, or whatever for LSU, uh, but uh, they come back and, and bottle up this Vanderbilt offense for the most part in the passing game. Derek Stingley Jr. returned and, and had a huge impact, especially in, in special teams uh, with a couple of quality punt returns. But overall... I think this defense got a little bit of confidence back. I think the running, the run defense, you know, left a little bit to be desired. They made some corrections in the second half and got it all uh, fixed. But uh, overall, I mean, this is one of those performances where you can kind of build off of it going into uh, a Missouri game where they're going to run the ball a lot. Eli Drinkowitz loves to run the football. App State uh, was always is always one of the best running teams in the country. So he's bringing that to the table in Missouri and Ed Ogeron said they do a lot of different things that they'll have to be prepared for, but um, some, some things to build off of, especially in the secondary from that game against Vanderbilt. Yeah. I mean, getting Stingley back, right. We knew that would help in a big way. And if the cornerback room can stay healthy, then we saw what their base feel or, or hope package sort of is right. That you have Stingley on one side Eli Ricks on the other side um, as the other boundary corner. And boy, he's looked great, right? I mean, he made a gamble play in week one where he tried to get a pick and it ended up giving up a touchdown. And and you'll live with that. He's a five-star true freshman who's out there um, kind of trying to carry a uh, or grow into this kind of pressure of playing for DBU. And, and he doesn't look like he has any sort of uh, doubts or worries about uh, if his game can translate to this level. And he turned back uh, – in that week one game and, and answered that play with a pick. And then uh, in week two against Andy, he was really solid. He plays. Um, I like how physical he can get at the line. He can play bump and run. Um, he's already very good at getting his head turned around, which led to another pick. Uh, now two picks on the season, which um, obviously it's, it's quite a young season, but uh, that's tied for with a couple of other guys for the most in the SEC right now. And uh, we'll see if he can't uh, add to that, but you feel good about those two on the outside, and that means you move Cordell Flott to nickel, which is where they had wanted him to be um, going into this season. And and now you've got Jay Ward who can get a little bit more healthy. You'll see if, if you can ever get much run from Darren Evans. We'll see if Ray Darius Jones is a guy who ends up playing some. Uh, Dwight McLaughlin is, is a bit further down the line after just coming in. So you've got a bit of unproven on the back end. But you feel good now that you've got Stingley back out there to be opposite of Ricks. You feel great about what Ricks has done. And, and certainly Flott and the nickel you'll feel comfortable with. He'll, 
he's taken some lumps this year, but he'll get better and better. We saw him as a true freshman play well. Um, for me, uh, I think the worry becomes the health at corner and then what's happening at safety. And I think the hope is that, look, and I'm not counting Jacoby Stevens. Sure, he's a safety, and right now he's the best player on the defense, uh, him or Ali Gay. Uh, and certainly Stevens can really kind of load up the stat sheet. He plays in the box. He plays on the line. And, and if you're doing all these things, that means you're playing Mo Hampton and Todd Harris at the same time at safety over the top. And they've sort of just been – few and far between when it comes to big plays. Now, Harris had an interception at the end of Vandy. Um, I believe it was actually even in the end zone, so saved him some points there. Um, hopefully he can continue to, to get healthy, get confident, um, because he's got the talent. It's just a matter of settling in. Uh, we saw him have to bring Cam Lewis into the game at one point uh, and give those guys some reprieve, and, and then they let Jordan Tolles as a freshman get a little bit of run, but uh, you can tell they want it to be Hampton. Uh, they want it to be Todd Harris, but those guys just have to step up a bit and, and live up to that potential. We saw it at the end of last year with Hampton as a true freshman. We've seen it before in spots with Harris. Um, I wouldn't consider it the biggest worry on the team right now, but it's something that probably just hasn't been talked about a ton just because they won big a week ago. And in week one, when they got gave up 600 and something yards passing, uh, a lot more people talked about the corners than they did the safeties. Yeah, and another player they'll get back is Glenn Logan, who Ed Ogeron said is ready to roll. Uh, but I do want to touch on, one, I think Ali Gay has, has gotten a ton of praise, and rightfully so. He's played great throughout the season. But Jacqueline Roy, somebody who's right on the fringe of five-star status for us on 24-7 sports in this uh, 2020 recruiting class, he's come on really well, played, played a good number of snaps against Vanderbilt. I think as we're seeing in this season, I think younger defensive linemen – have a chance to play more than ever because you have to roll your depth. These guys are not in as good a shape as they normally are. You've got to continue to work these guys into shape. And so the way you do that is by allowing some younger players to get some burn. And we saw that from Jacqueline Roy, and he was one of the, the biggest standouts for Ed Ogeron in the game against Vanderbilt. Yeah, I thought that, boy, he's, he's got a punch to him. He's got a nice first step to him. Um, he's athletic. Uh, and when you're playing on the interior of the D-line, he's certainly the most athletic guy that they have on the team there. Orgeron even said that this week, which is not a massive surprise, but that's what you like about him there. He doesn't need to be playing D-end. If he can handle himself on the inside, he can play next to Apu or Glenn Logan or Farrell or whoever you might have in the game. And, and he's going to give you that little bit extra of an of a ability to get into the backfield probably a little bit more often. So I'm excited to see some more of him. Uh, B.J. Ojolari's coming along at D-end. Andre Anthony made a play or two. Um, I know Trevez Moore has missed some plays, but he also made a couple plays in the Vandy game. Um, and obviously, Alligators looked great. So get Glenn Logan back and then see what you can do, right? Uh, Billy, if I'm them, I get Glenn Logan back. I'm resting Neil Farrell or at least trying to give him, you know, 15, 20 snaps and keep him moving in the right direction of game shape. But I'm starting to see, hey, what can Joseph Evans do? What can uh Jaquel and Roy do because uh, these are some of your younger guys who right now appear to be in good shape and and certainly could use the reps uh, maybe even more than a guy like Farrell needs them yeah 100 percent. and and it'll be uh one thing to watch as we move later into the season how Neil Farrell progresses and as he you know gets into that rotation even more uh, just how that rotation changes I think you know when you and I were talking about it before the season 
that was a position that just across the board on the line we felt like could change a lot as the season went along, whether it was you know, somebody like B.J. Ojolari emerging over an Andre Anthony or Trevez Moore or one of those starters, or uh, Neil Farrell once he opted back in, working his way back in, or would it be a J- Jacqueline Roy or a Jacoby and Guillory uh, who continues to you know, battle back from a, an ankle sprain emerging and all those things it'll be uh it's going to be quite the journey for that group I think as they get into the teeth of SEC play um but but one thing that is also changing and LSU just released a statement on it as we're recording this podcast uh the LSU Missouri game is still scheduled for eight o'clock Saturday night so a little breaking you know news I guess into the podcast still scheduled for eight o'clock on Saturday night they are going to continue to monitor this thing but right now as it stands uh, is just a little too early to make a change, to make a decision. Uh, so here we are again, Shay, and, and once again in October, monitoring uh, LSU uh, with a potential game change due to a hurricane. Yeah, I think all things considered with this one, the uh, the drama surrounding the week will not be as intense as it was that year uh, with the Florida game uh, where it was getting moved to Tiger Stadium. So I think this one, uh, let's monitor it, um, obviously we're here in Baton Rouge and we say, okay, well, the last few hurricanes have, have been modeled to hit Baton Rouge five days out and then they've gone swear. And uh, no matter where they go, they're hitting somebody and it sucks, but uh, we'll see what happens with, uh, with this one. Well, I know that what it looked like everything was kind of coming through on Friday. So maybe on Saturday it would still be facing some um, sort of tropical storm winds. And then obviously if it, if it does come towards Baton Rouge, uh, the logistics of, of playing the day after it hits or, or something like that is, is off, you know, is impossible. So uh, they'll monitor this, I guess. I'm, I don't look, my guess would be as good as a weatherman's probably, huh? So we'll see what happens, but, uh, but yes, LSU seems to send out an email or update every half day right now or, or twice uh, in the morning, twice in the afternoon of uh, the update is there is no update and we're continuing to monitor it, uh, which is what we'll do. Um, but look, only five home games and five away games this year. So if they end up moving this one on the road, uh, there will only be what three more home games in Tiger Stadium the rest of the season, which is a bit strange. Yeah, very strange. Uh, and and thoughts and and prayers to everybody in the path of this one. It, right now is a Category Four hurricane, so a major one, and it'll enter the Gulf at some time uh, later this week. And we'll continue to monitor it as well. Um, Sunny Ship had an update on on it uh, on Go Twenty Four Seven earlier today as well. Um, that'll be a key storyline, but uh, hopefully it won't turn into the pissing match like the LSU Florida one turned into uh, a few years back. But um, with that, Shay, I think it's time to wrap up this edition of the pod. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, and Shay, uh, have you been watching, what have you been watching on Netflix lately? I, I know we're in back into college football, but uh, I, we haven't checked in on the Netflix front. What's the latest? Oh, man, we have uh, bounced around to some murder mysteries just dropped onto Netflix. We've, uh, man, you put me on, the, we watch so much TV late at night. Uh, it's tough to keep up with. Let me see what the best thing here. I'll think and you can go. What is the best thing we've watched recently? We'll try to put some people on some new TV here. So I've been on the documentary train and uh, I'm actually watching one on the Challenger, uh, which is, is one kind of depressing, obviously, but uh, just a lot of. Uh, family members and things like that being interviewed by it. But one weird one that I've watched and I'm almost done with it is White Lines. And it's based in Ibiza or Ibiza or whatever they call it um, over there in the in the actual show. But 
it's getting a little weird. I don't know if anybody's watched White Lines, but um, I've got two episodes left. I'm just I'm ready for it to kind of to find out really what happens uh, down the stretch. But it's uh, kind of a weird rave type of murder solving uh, show. But um, yeah, that is the one that that I've watched for the most part. Um, I'm also uh, on on the video game train a little bit. Tony Hawk, a little bit of uh, nostalgia for me growing up. Tony Hawk one and two was like remastered and they released it on uh, Xbox or, uh, you know, PS4, or whatever you play it on. But uh, that's been a lot of fun. So I've been, been, been gaming on that and, and playing all these, you know, old skate parks that I used to play when I was about six, seven, eight years old. It's pretty, it's been pretty awesome. Okay. Okay. Mixing it up. Um, yes. Okay. So people did say to watch the challenger um, documentary, the final flight one. I have not seen that yet, but I heard it was good. I have seen recently, I'll give you a couple of good ones here. Um, I watched The Social Dilemma, which a lot of people talked about. People were talking about it on the board. It's sort of like a, just like a, basically it'll just freak you out about how often you're probably on your phone or on your computer or whatever. And it's a lot of uh, old people who worked at Google or at uh, Apple or at, in different spots in the tech industry. And it was, uh, it was interesting to just watch and, and get a feel for um, one thing that I thought was good, uh, was it, I guess not kind of a documentary, but, uh, more of a documentary, I guess, about people shooting things, but, uh, a shot in the dark, which I don't know how long that's been on Netflix for, but it's basically like the people who go out and try to beat the news teams to these like sort of disasters or a car wreck or, um, you know, a robbery or whatever it might be going on and they get the footage and then they sell it, uh, to the news station. So it's kind of what was the movie like nightcrawler is that what it was yes um, yeah, with jake, jake, yep jake gyllenhaal yeah so it's like that but real life people and i really liked that movie so i kind of thought the uh the whole show was cool but also kind of um i guess it just makes you realize that people in news who uh you know have to film stuff on the worst day of people's lives makes it sort of a tense awkward situation i, I thought it was good but for the people not trying to get debbie down there the new shit's creek came out and uh that's been funny to watch Oh yeah, I need to pick that up. I, I was about five episodes in and kind of fell off on that. So now I need to binge it. Now that it's, I think, done too. Right? That was the finale, I believe. Uh, yeah, this is the final. Yeah, right. Final season. And then one more for you guys, as it'll come out, I believe, on Friday, uh, is the Haunting of Bly Manor. And if you if you are a horror movie person, this was a uh, series. Haunting of Hill House was the. I don't think they're tied together. I could be wrong, but it's the same same creators as it. Uh, and it's on Netflix, uh, it comes out on Friday, I believe. And so one haunting of Hill house was like one of the most scariest right up there for me in terms of scary horror type of stuff, uh, that I've watched. So I'm looking forward to Bly Manor this weekend, uh, trying to, uh, see that as, uh, anyway, we, uh, you know, await some college football. So I'll be, I'll be jumping on that. I think I'll be done with white lines by then, but anyway, good stuff. Shay. I, I know everybody always appreciates your, your Netflix updates. I thought the scariest thing you saw was the state game. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. I know that, some, you know, maybe some LSU corners maybe had a couple nightmares about KJ Costello after that one. But anyway, they uh, they they certainly got over them uh, in time for Vanderbilt. So with that, guys, we're going to close out this edition of the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it and hope you guys have a great week. Uh, as the hurricane approaches, stay safe and, uh, you know, everything like that. So. 
We'll catch you guys later in the week with our preview of LSU Missouri, still slated for 8 o'clock Central and Tiger Stadium as of now, but we'll be monitoring it all on Go 24-7. So we'll catch you guys next time. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.